Hello everyone, welcome back to the Lodcast. It's me, Matt, and boy do we have a great episode. We got another guest. We got a lot of things such as Apple versus Epic Games, uh, the Nintendo Switch and its Bluetooth, Deathloop, and many more. So, Osh, take it away. Thank you, Matt. Uh, before we move on, how's everyone's week been? Matt, I'll start with you because you introduced the podcast. I'm pretty good. I'm stressed as hell. <laughs> College is literally ruining my mental health. But, you know. Very cool. Uh, how about yeah. you, Jay? <laughs> I, I, I don't think uh, mine's much better. One of my family members got the, the Rona. And, uh, Uh-oh. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I had to get tested. I didn't get it, thankfully, but it's not a good time right now. That's I got a cool good. guitar yesterday, though. Well, that's cool. Uh, before we move on to the guest, it's me. Uh, not much. <laughs> Uh, Thank you. Life is life is pretty boring for the most part, but uh, Deathloop came out, and I'm excited about that. We'll talk about it later in the podcast. But we have a guest on, uh, Rotten Deadite of famous podcasting fame. That's that was weird. I said that weird. How have you been, Deadite? I've been I've been all right. <laughs> I mean, fame is hard to handle, so you know, they you know everybody's so different. I'm still the same. um yeah i mean it's good uh the podcast is getting uh a lot more traction uh and we're thinking about either i don't know rebranding or doing something uh like definitely trying to up the professional polish on it um to hopefully sort of break over into this next envelope of you know of um of stuff well, all right. Uh, with that, I, th- I think you've kind of introduced yourself. But would you like oh, to yeah. introduce yourself? Do what do you do? Who are you to the to the um, audience? I could throw some URLs out. I host the Selectives Lorecast, a casual Elder Scrolls Elder Scrolls podcast at uh, YouTube.com/slash/memospore. Which um, a word to a uh, word of warning to anybody who's new to that channel. It used to be what still is Michael Kirkbride's channel. Uh, so there's some very odd videos at the beginning. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, it was it was originally his, uh, which he was using for the for an uh, uh, alternate reality game that he was running on an IRC channel on the Memospore IRC channel, and we inherited it basically when he was done with the ARG. He was just like, "Do you guys want to use this for the lore cast?" And we said, "Yeah." And so now we have it. Um, I was wondering because I looked into that myself yeah. and I was trying to get a hold of him, and I was like, "It goes from random videos." To Lodcast and nothing but not Lodcast podcast. Yeah. Nothing Every podcast. podcast is a Lodcast now. <laughs> yep. no. I only made it. That yeah, it does. It, it it it's all it's these weird sort of abstract David Lynchian you know dream sequences, and then it's Kirkbride talking to his you know dog, and then <laughs> and, uh, and then all of a sudden you know boop, you're into you're into podcasts. And it's, it, yeah, it's it's sudden. But, I mean, we're on 80-something episodes now. We're not at 90 yet, but we're getting there. How- uh, we've been doing it for about seven years. And the ori- the first podcast, the first episodes are really rough. Like, it was literally just a bunch of nerds talking on Google Hangouts. And then I recorded them and, up- and uploaded them. And um, uh, uh, maybe about halfway through it, around, like, episode 30-ish or something... Um, we started actually trying to do a better job. <laughs> I mean, and, that's how uh, most and, people start. 
Yeah, well, that's how most podcasts start, I think, is just a bunch of people hanging out. Um, and But, I mean, as we, uh, um, as any podcast eventually faces this point where you think, look, either I'm going to make this something that I do seriously, or as seriously as I can afford to, or I'm going to um, continue to dick around, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and and we're, we're kind of toying around with the idea of getting a little more professional with it, so... Um, but, uh, yeah, and I mean, other than that, I mean, I'm known in the Elder Scrolls lore community for being a a specialist with the 36 Lessons of Vivek, which is a very uh, uh, obtuse and inaccessible piece of uh, of um, of lore, in-game lore. Um, and I basically made it my goal to explain that. I've got a website called uh, thenewworldingschool.com. Or just newworldingschool.com, and uh, it goes through every line of the 36 lessons of Vivek, all 36 books, and explains all of them. I say all 36, that's the goal. We're up to 20 something now, 25, I think. Um, and uh, and that's been basically my the majority of my spare time for the past five years has been working on that website, and uh, it's going as slowly as it is because of the amount of work that I have to do because the 36 lessons draw from everything and yeah, it's, it's really hard yeah. to decipher. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it, it is very, very difficult to decipher. And it's, a, it's made all that more difficult by the fact that the author, Michael Kirkbride, one of the developer ex developers of Bethesda an occasional, um, uh, occasional, uh, um, uh, writer, uh, was uh, basically he was contracted to write these books and he wrote 36 of them in a week and some of them were almost <laughs> dream of consciousness. I mean, they were literally just him typing and whatever got onto the paper uh, with with relatively little revision went went into the game. I, I love um, the, the story behind it where it's like some people are like, yeah, he was high on cocaine. <laughs> nope. Like, nope, he didn't need nope, to be. Was, he was uh, just insane. It was, it was coffee and bourbon uh and uh and just and and it was just literally it was just him drawing on every single like cell in his body for inspiration <laughs> and uh and so you get a lot of everything you get a lot of very personal poetry you get a lot of uh comparative religion you get a lot of uh so kirkbride synesthetic which means that he sees sounds so if he listens to a song or something he can see colors um and uh, and so a lot of the language in it was just things that looked good to him when he was when he hears them in his head. So obviously that that's another wrinkle. <laughs> yeah, it's so wow. fascinating to me because I like. Okay, I'm I'm gonna go here for a second, but like I love Elder Scrolls Deep Lore. I'm actually making a video mm -hmm. trying to do the impossible, which I've spent a month on now, writing about trying to simplify the concept of what is like Elder Scrolls lore to a degree, even oh, though it's almost impossible to. I know, right? Yeah. But researching this stuff, I'm like showing one of my friends and he's like, oh, how's that going? And I'm like quoting the 36 lessons of Vivek, the trial of Vivek and all these different things. And I'm like mm -hmm. just going insane. The Mysterium or the commentaries on the Mysterium Zark scenes. Oh, God, and all yeah. this oh did, you, like, did you catch oh, up on uh, the stuff that ESO added to the Mysterium Zarxes? Listen, man, I <laughs> told you so much. That's insane. ESO is another damn uh, uh, bottomless pit because they've done so much content for those games, for that game, excuse me, and the, and the expansions that have come out for it. It's it's almost impossible to keep track of. The, the great part about 
deep lore in the Elder Scrolls before ESO came out was we only had a few games to worry about. There's a limited amount of content. And it seems like every time ESO comes out with another expansion, there's a mountain of material to go through. And um, most of it is, I mean, it's... Uh, when when you're writing text for uh, role-playing games, the overwhelming majority of what you're writing is just, you know, t- item descriptions and boring crap and, and, and uh, you know, people explaining things to other people in letters and little notes that get left to, to forward the plot and stuff. It's not that interesting. But every once in a while, ESO will throw in a loop, like um, the writings from uh, uh, the Clockwork City expansion, that are so dense and so dank that we can't like it, it's it, like that's after I'm done with the 36 lessons, I'm probably going to hit um, uh, the truth and sequence, which is the um, South Hills equivalent of the 36 lessons, um, because it's more of the same. It's more it's uh, I think it was um, who was the author of uh, uh, no, 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 I think it was Schick. I think it was t- uh, uh, Tuttle. Yeah. Yeah. OK. okay. Um, I, I, I might be wrong. I'll have to ask him. But um, it, I think it was just, it was Tuttle working on uh, differentiating, basically trying to build a um, series of of um, mystical philosophical books um, that weren't just more of Vivex, you know, Vecian nonsense, <laughs> not His nonsense, but, you know, but, but you know, sort of chaotic, you know, uh, uh, concepts, and uh, and instead trying to pitch a a version of the universe that is much more organized and sequential come on that's no fun <laughs> uh, I like that, though, it's he, like he did, he did a phenomenal job. yeah he did a no, phenomenal like, job and it, and he managed to do it in a way that made sense within a universe that is described by basically every other philosophical concept uh, philosophical structure in in elder scrolls they all did they all describe it as being completely nuts and uh and the truth and sequence does a very good job of explaining it in a way that is um that has potential for order which is the whole point of the it's potential a really of nice potential. idea. I've yeah. never even heard of that before, which is, again, I learn something new every day about it. The Elder Scrolls it's, it's complicated, yeah. It There's is. a lot. Because Vivek is like poetic, warrior god, and mm-hmm. then Elder Scrolls is the exact opposite. He's like, I'm machine. I am, yeah, yeah and it's it's great. I used I like to I used to pride myself in the past on being like the one person in the Elder Scrolls community who was like always up to date on expansions and like lore and I was like, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be the guy who knows all that crap and oh no. How oh. long did that last? <laughs> uh, well, I, I think yeah. I'm still up to date in some regards, but, <laughs> but wow, that's a lot of work, man. I that's that's I'm I, I'm very envious. I don't I don't have that kind of uh time or probably attention span, honestly. I can't keep up with it. At this point, I've just like, well, I, I shifted my channels. I used to be an Elder Scrolls channel. You huge into Elder Scrolls in the past. Uh, still kind of delve into it just for the fun of it. I still play the games. But, whew, yeah. I, the most yeah. I keep up with now is expansions, going through them very slowly. I, like, dedicate an entire, like, month to just doing an expansion. I just that fling myself right. into the ocean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, continuing, so continuing the interview... You mentioned you do all the streaming stuff. Very interesting. How you, I, I don't even know how you met Michael Kirkbride and all those people, but how did you get oh. into this? How how did you end up where you are? Like, where did this start? Uh, well, I mean, originally I got into the Elder Scrolls lore community. About, the majority of the way that most people did was they started playing Skyrim 
like me and decided they wanted to look up like something that they read somewhere. And while just sort of gliding through the Internet, you came uh, I came across a blog called um, uh, uh, Falling Awkwardly. And it was a series of blog articles called The Metaphysics of Morrowind. And oh, I played Morrowind when it came out and then I played Oblivion, obviously. And then I was in the middle of Skyrim and I read um, I read this guy's blog and was just completely floored that you know, that a, a video game that I've been playing had this stuff in it and I hadn't even noticed, you know? And uh, so I immediately turned around and started doing as much research as I could uh, into the 36 Lessons of Vivek. And uh, at this, this was about the same time that I, that my wife at the time was going through some medical um, terror and uh, she ended up in a uh, in the hospital, uh, nearly dying on the operating table because of uh, just somebody nicked an artery. And I was just losing my mind and reading the thirty six lessons of Vivek, and I just to distract myself. And I read uh, I, uh, there was a, a a forum post, and somebody mentioned the love letter from the fifth era which is a supplemental piece of text that Kirkbride wrote and just posted to the official Bethesda forums as sort of like a just a lore dump. And I read that, and there was a line in it about... Um, that was sort of... I didn't know it at the time, but it was explaining Chim. And it described Chim as the state gradient echo of Mundus Centrex. And state gradient echo rang a bell, and I couldn't figure out why. And so over the next couple of weeks, I was looking around on the internet trying to figure it out, and I found out that it had a connection with MRI imaging. And uh, I, I added two and two together and kind of threw in my own, like, the, the stuff that I knew, limited knowledge I had about um, signal processing and stuff from my dad, who's a, a nuclear safety inspector uh, at, a, at a hospital in New Orleans. And after I figured all this stuff out, I, I had this realization about CHIM, so I, made a, I wrote out a, a forum post about it and posted it. And Kirkbride and like replied to it and said, you know, fantastic or you know, like well done or something. And the moment I read that, I just went, well, I guess I know what I'm doing with the rest of my life. <laughs> and it was literally, it was like that. It was like a light switch. I was just like, well, this is what I'm going to do. And um, and so I just spent all of my time reading, uh, like like reading the 36 lessons and other things and trying to figure stuff out. And roughly about that same point, Kirkbride popped into the Memospore channel in IRC, which I was told about by somebody on the Bethesda forums, uh, and started this ARG. Um, oh, I remember what it was. He It had actually started when he dropped uh, a little, like, hint in the Bethesda forums about what was called, what we now refer to as the Amaranth Hunt which was the search for the god that is dreaming the Elder Scrolls universe. And he said there's actually a second Amaranth, the first, the, the, uh, or a second godhead, basically. The, the, the first godhead in Elder Scrolls lore is the one who is dreaming the entire universe. And he said there's another one a level below that. And I've hidden it, he said. And so uh, me and a bunch of other lore nerds got together and started combing through everything we could find in all three games to try to figure out what this other dreamer was. And that's where the Memospore IRC channel came from. And that's really where the majority of my Elder Scrolls knowledge started, was just doing the research on that hunt. And 
the resolution of that went well. And so uh, all of a sudden we had this IRC channel that Kirk Bride was hanging out with and supposedly Coolman and a couple other people, although they never revealed who they were. Apparently there was a, a number of other developers in the IRC channel. Um, and, you know, like every once in a while, people in the uh, in like um, STL or something will say, oh, you know, there's like a, a, a lore um, Illuminati mm -hmm. kind of. Well, that it was literally like there isn't but if there was one it would have been that irc channel yeah. uh and uh and so we really had this sort of exclusive all access you know unfettered uh connection to some of the developers certainly most publicly kirkbride and he and i hit it off really well in the irc channel and then during the arg he just decided to give me a call on my cell phone Ooh. and it was a weird moment in my life where I had spent the past year and a half or two years having this idea in my head that I would become this like unbelievably nerdy <laughs> um, air quotes expert in Elder Scrolls lore. And maybe one day I would have Kirkbride's phone number on my phone and I'd be able to like call him up and be like, hey, bro, how are you? And all these other kind of like, you know, fangirly kind of ideas. And, uh, and then not, a, you know, not a couple of years later, I was literally down in New Orleans playing Warhammer 40k with him and coming to the wonderful realization that he's not nearly as weird as everybody thinks he is. <laughs> <laughs> he's literally well, just a dude and, uh, and very approachable. Um, that's the thing and, about some of the most creative individuals is they just seem reserved and normal. And then yeah. it's when you crack them open that they become it's yeah. just insane yeah. <laughs> mountains of ideas which he, which is exactly what he's like you can have a, com a com completely normal ass conversation with him and then you mention something about elder scrolls and his whole body animates and his <laughs> his, his face just lights up and uh daria his wife just sort of just kind of leans back a little bit he <laughs> gives him space <laughs> and uh and he just and he'll just he'll just you know, he gets so excited and he just starts talking about all these amazing ideas that he's rolling around in his head or that he's uh, um, uh, or, or that he's been talking with uh, Kurt or somebody else about. And uh, uh, it, it's it's amazing. It, it, he I asked him at one point or another why he was still writing Elder Scrolls lore and he said that it's impossible for him to stop. Um, which is often the true often the case for people who are world builders. They they get obsessed almost uh, with a with the world that they've created and they and they can't stop working on it you know i get that i get that yeah so i'm I'm very curious about this since you mentioned it has he ever why did mk ever leave bethesda was it like oh his choice or no it's it's actually an unbelievably boring explanation <laughs> he was uh he was hired on as the art director as a um uh, the way m the majority of people are hired on in the gaming industry, which is as a contractor. So after after the original art design was done and a lot of the art assets were being created and they didn't need them anymore, they let them go. Wow. Which is, yeah, which is how it often goes in the in the uh, gaming industry. Nobody really gets hired on full time in a lot of games. Uh, for, say, for, sounds pretty standard. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's it's a lot. It's a lot like that in the entertainment industry in general. If you, um, for example, if you're making a movie, the writer is almost never retained for the entire length of pre-production, production, and post-production. They're they're literally there just for pre-production to get the um, script to a point where it can be shot, and then they're they they get paid and they go home. 
Um, and uh, only on very, very few movies do they actually retain them for produ- for the process of production where they'll be consulted for script changes. But that means that the script that you get in a video game or in a movie or any other piece of entertainment is usually what you see in the final product is not at all what was on paper when the writer was done. Um, and this is often the case for video games and, and entertainment in general. Uh, and, and it's like that for the Elder Scrolls. Uh, but in the case of Bethesda, when, uh, when it came to writing lore, everybody at Bethesda wrote lore. Everybody. Um, the teams were not gigantic back then. So you didn't, ha- you didn't have like the, if you look at the credits for um, Morrowind, the actual list of people who were developing the game was relatively small compared to Skyrim. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a, uh, but uh, just about everybody who was interested in writing in-game books and in-game lore and et cetera had that ability to do so. And so as the art director, Kirk Bride was writing as much as he could. And then I don't remember if it was before or after he stopped working there, but they, uh, he basically left and they hired him on, they continued to pay him to write uh, additional in-game books. I think he was supposed to write 40. And uh, and so he just continued to be employed to the with them for a while after that. But yeah, then his contract went out. You know, well, it's kind of upsetting because like he makes such great content. Like I dig mm-hmm. it up, especially because well, I went to college for uh, electrical and computer engineering, and all these words are like, it's like oh. The, the the gradient thing you mentioned i'm like yeah. oh i remember the gradient i i took a class about that and electromagnetics and all that it, oh, it, so it, you had to you had to do shore's algorithm and all that shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> all that's well thinking back to it it's fun now like just looking back yeah. but back then it was like oh no i'm gonna fail yeah. this class I'm never gonna use this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um that aside uh how exactly do you go about making your podcast scheduling it like i think this is very interesting whenever i talk about the logistics of stuff with youtubers or podcasters how how do you do it all uh badly (laughs) uh basically we try really really hard to have the podcast done every other weekend um and we because we broadcast live at twitch.tv slash rotten deadite um we don't uh we we have like we have to stick to a very specific schedule um which is usually 2 2 or nowadays it's more like 3 p.m. EST uh on Saturdays and we don't really uh and, and then from there all I'm doing is just uh taking the local recording and uploading it to YouTube it's not complex um I haven't actually done like intro music or a title card or anything like that in forever um it's and a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have, by and large, up to this point, been we've been trying to do it as informally as possible to try to keep it relaxed and low pressure. And, um, you know, people show up or they don't, that kind of thing. We'll do something. Maybe we won't. Um, and uh, one of the reasons why we have been doing it like that is because for the most part, ever since the podcast started, we intended to do it for free. Um, we didn't intend to do any advertising, any sponsorships. We didn't want to do any merchandise, anything like that. We wanted to keep it as relaxed as possible and because we sort of assumed we were going to be a drop in the ocean. And then the longer I've done it, the more I've begun to realize that there are basically no pod, no deep lore podcasts out there. And we thought there would be, but 
that turns out there aren't, and the best reason I can find for the reason why there aren't any deep lore podcasts out there is because uh, the audience is goddamn small. It's <laughs> it's uh it's worldwide a few thousand people, you know. Um, I was gonna say because like not only is the material itself extremely complicated to wrap yeah. your head around, and mm-hmm. not only that, but so few people know about it. Yeah, it doesn't have an it doesn't have a whole lot of exposure. If you had been if you had played Morrowind when it came out, you would have picked up one of the thirty six lessons of Vivek and opened it up and gone, "What the crap is this?" and then put it back down again. That would have been it. <laughs> that pretty that much. would have been your whole relationship with Deep Lore. <laughs> and um, and it's not a requirement to you know to uh, to play the game. You don't have to learn anything about lore to survive in Skyrim. It doesn't do anybody any good to know that there used to be in the second era a space program. Um, Shh! But, don't tell him about that. But but that's like that's just sort of a part of the it, it's it's part of the fun, I suppose. And I think that people, the gaming industry, the gaming community in general, is a little bit more primed for Elder Scrolls Deep Lore than they used to be. Thanks very much to people like Vadividia and Dark Souls. Uh, where the lore is more, I would say, conceptually not that compl- not that difficult, um, but so well hidden that it might as well be. And, uh, I mean, to, to find lore in a Dark Souls game, you have to read item descriptions that are only visible on one tiny little piece of the UI in one particular panel, and um, or listen to dialogue that's vague as hell and not required in the slightest bit and you actually have to like give very specific items to specific NPCs for them to give you this piece of information. And and that's during a game where you're literally just spending all of your time trying not to die horribly. Um thanks very much to the efforts of of YouTubers like Batty Video. We the, the his phenomenal videos have opened up the hidden lore in Dark Souls and people have kind of started to get used to the idea or become more comfortable with the idea that some video games have some very interesting complex ideas in them or some very interesting storylines that are not immediately available in the game. And uh, and Elder Scrolls lore is chock full of that crap. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun to try to explain the ins and outs and the nuances and subtext behind Vivek's relationship with Enderil Nerev- Nerevar uh back in the first era it's um there's a lot of really amazing storylines happening there uh dagoth Ur's whole background is phenomenal and uh once we once we began to see that happening in the gaming industry in the gaming community it started to occur to us that maybe we should be giving this a little bit more effort than we are you know um, i remember so oh sorry hmm? to cut you off no go ahead, no, go ahead. I, I was just saying i remember the first time I was exposed to these like deep lore concepts was literally the first game I played Oblivion. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't stick with me until like five years later until like 2015 or so. And then I realized like, who's sure? Who's Lorcan? Where, where yeah. did the dwarves go? Where all these things? And then you start looking these up and you just start going down a rabbit hole of more right. information, yep. more information. These yep. texts that make no sense to you. And then you mm-hmm. want to find out what they mean. What What's the... What are all these different things like the Godhead? What's which chip? What's zero yeah. summoning? What what does the yeah. Elder Scrolls actually do? And then you start like it's just avalanche. It just snowballs. So I was right. avalanching. Even Skyrim did a really did a lot of stuff for deep lore. Um, it, it's it's a you could you you can make an argument 
that Skyrim's lore is not as complex as Morrowind, but I wouldn't. That I mean, it, it's there's not a whole lot of. It's a it's an argument you could make. I don't see the point to it, but um, but Skyrim was very helpful to deep lore in the respect that it got people talking about what happened to the Dwemer, and it got people talking about why the Thalmor are such a bunch of jackasses, and uh, and that of course led to in the case of the Dwemer that led to the disappearance and that led to Numidium and that led to what do you what it, you know like when you tell them well they became the Numidium's golden skin they immediately go what the f does that even mean. And uh, then you have to start explaining mantling and uh, the six walking ways to divinity and etc. And then when they ask about the Thalmor, you have to explain the towers, which is another huge uh, deep lore concept. Uh, and uh, and the way that the universe itself is is built and structured and what it you know like what existence relies on. Yeah, like what is believed, like what is the wheel, like who are the people yeah. that like have transcended it, like type receptum and all these mm-hmm. other people, and it just it's insane. Yeah. Exactly, mm-hmm. like so, what does Alduin do? He eats the world, but what happened to the previous worlds? Who was there? What about the Kudins? All these other different things. It, right. It's really interesting you mentioned how lore, deep lore podcasts are very niche because this podcast actually started as a deep lore podcast. Yeah, ages mm-hmm. ago. Um, the reason we were called Lodcast is because. Uh, Lod, you see it thrown around more often in Elder Scrolls just because everyone's tweaking their games. But Lod oh, is... load order. Yeah, well, no, it's a uh, level of detail. Level of detail. Yeah, because... Oh, I'm an idiot, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh, no, we, we, used, we used to be a, a, a Deep Lore podcast. You Actually, you might have seen this when you first opened this document, but I had a little yeah. dash there that said, uh, Elder Scrolls topics we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, um... I find it crazy interesting that there's not a lot of podcasts out there about there's not there's I mean, there's there's a lot of Elder Scrolls lore podcasts, but they don't really do the deep dives that deep lore requires. And um, the more podcasts that we can get talking about the the deep lore concepts like they're not deep, you know, like they're just regular like, hey, you want to know Elder, Elder Scrolls lore? You got you might want to learn about this. The more we can kind of make that like. Uh, make people comfortable with that. Um, I, I think the better off the uh, the Elder Scrolls lore community in general will get. And also, I, I have this naive. I mean, you, when you do, when you get involved in Elder Scrolls lore, the one like sort of like childish, uh, um, idealized dream that every nerd has is that I'll write something. <laughs> And one day it'll end up in a game <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll influence Elder Scrolls lore just like a real boy. And, um, and, and, and the truth of the matter is uh, you, you can absolutely do that, but you also have to be a game developer, like, yep. you know, a professional. <laughs> yep. And um, I mean, there's I mean, I mean, I'll put it to you this way. Terry Pratchett did more uh, Oblivion mods, if you know who Terry Pratchett is. Yep. Uh, very famous uh, comedic writer, uh, author, um, and uh, was it Sophie? That's Sophia. That was Sophia, the. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, was the it mod for Bilge Oblivion that he he wrote for the uh, the th- the thieves guild portion of those quests in that mod, and um, and spoke glowingly about Oblivion in general, about how he 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 if his if his books were late, you could blame Oblivion. Um, <laughs> And uh, and he, I don't think, was ever approached by Bethesda 
Which is sad, because I remember reviewing a mod that he made, and everyone was like, why is this guy not in the actual, like, Bethesda team? And I'm like, I don't know. He's a good writer. Like, he does good stuff. Yeah. And, I mean, that's that's just sort of, you have to work your ass off to get lore into, you'd be better off applying to ZeniMax and getting into ESO. Um, and, uh, uh, but I mean, but yeah, but everybody sort of wants that. And the, the whole goal behind, uh, deep lore is to explain to people how incredibly intricate, um, the Elder Scrolls lore can get and, uh, and how much possibility there is. And the more excited people can get about it, then the more likely it is that we'll get Bethesda to start putting more of it back into the games because ever since Morrowind it unfortunately it has been it has kind of gone downhill but yeah uh, future reference (laughs) kind of wrapping up this interview we are (laughs) pushing our time limits here but uh what are your plans for the future you mentioned a little earlier in the beginning but anything else you'd like to add on where you think this podcast what you're doing is heading yeah I mean we're we're trying to get to the point where um we're trying to get to the point where we can get deep lore sort of acknowledged by the company that makes it. Um, it's something that Bethesda currently adds to their games as like a little thing to keep a few people happy. Um, or not even that. I mean, I don't even really think Kurt Kuhlman or any of the other like usual contributors to deep lore are um, necessarily thinking about the audience so much as they're thinking, oh, I have a, I had a fun idea. I'm going to put a little book in you know, or a little bit of dialogue or something like that that alludes to it. And, um, I mean, uh, almost, uh, the, uh, I would probably say that if there's the, the biggest source of deep lore to anybody in Skyrim is, um, the conversation you can have with Parthenax towards the end. Oh, and, I love that conversation. And that's a very good example of when one of the writers is just sort of having fun with deep lore. And they they throw some little winks and nudges in there about the Calpic cycle and etc. And then the all the deep lore fans out there get all wiggly and <laughs> and you know and we just want to see more of that. And so if we can get like if if Skyrim Two Electric Boogaloo comes out and it's got um, a little bit more philosophy in it and a little bit more you know um, you know high you know big brain nerd shit in it, then I think uh, I think we'll consider our job. Uh, a job well done. Um, how are we going to do that? Uh, hits, <laughs> clicks, man. <laughs> so we got, we got to, we got to. Uh, I mean, we got to work together with the rest of the lore community and uh, and try to get as much, um, you know, attention to deep lore content that we can get, so that um, it starts showing up statistically for people to see. Right, I'm um, just gonna pump out enough videos about the Fargoth cycle, and then people will figure yeah, it out. <laughs> That's all you got to do, baby. That's it. You know, it's it's. I mean, I mean, seriously, like, of every deep lore fan out there, there is no single greater example than Icefire Warden and the work that he's done with Zenimax and uh, Lawrence Schick and uh, um, and his own personal what you would call headcanon, but it's unfortunately for a lot of people literally canon now. Um, and he he's he's a great example of what you can get if you have talent and passion and spare time and uh and you just sit there and put in the work and put in the hours and he did and now his stuff is literally in elder scrolls online uh and it's not like they just hired him to write something he wasn't interested in it's literally his lore 
Um, so I don't, you know, uh, that's, that's the success story. That's the goal that everybody has. And, uh, and what I would like to do is to see a lot more of that. I would like to see a lot more fan content in Elder Scrolls, uh, in official Elder Scrolls content. I'd like to see just a lot more deep, you know, philosophical content. Um, more tough questions. Yeah, so uh, I think with that, we can begin wrapping up this interview. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Like, anything you want to shout out? Anything before we move on? Uh, I just want to, I mean, I don't get a chance to say this often enough. I just want to say how incredibly grateful I am to uh, people who have supported the channel and uh, and the content uh, and people who are very patient with my absolutely abhorrent update rate for the New Orleans School <laughs> and my snail's pace. And... Uh, I, I mean, it, it's it's incredibly emotionally stirring, and you would hear that in my voice if I wasn't so heavily medicated. Um, and uh, and I I think it's uh, I, I just think it's really amazing. And on, honestly, I should probably shut up because words words fail me. I am I'm I'm very deeply moved by the whole thing. And uh, yeah, that's it. Um, and actually, on that note, if you guys want to talk about. Um, death loop. I'm fucking down. Hell yeah. Oh yeah. Here so it, we go. Looks like we're gonna cut out Apple versus Epic. I'll, I'll quickly go over it. Uh, yeah. What's that so, about? so Apple versus Epic. For those of you who don't know, basically Apple um was sued by Epic Games for not allowing people to app makers, so developers, to not have an alternate oh. source of revenue on their app store, and they're like, oh, you're a monopoly. Uh, turns out Epic was wrong, <laughs> according to the courts. Um, this has been something we've talked on the podcast like over the last year or so, and it's finally ended. I hope, probably not. There's they're probably going to go through a million appeals courts, and basically the courts decided, uh, no, Epic, you're wrong. Apple is not a monopoly because it's a privately owned store. And that said, they also found that Apple was doing a lot of monopolistic things, as in like buying up a. Uh, certain companies preventing apps from being displayed i think a very recent example was with the 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 newest apple watch uh they actually banned a company that made an app that now they've integrated into their their os so there's a swiping feature for typing there's an app that did that they banned the app literally like a week before they announced that their new watch can do it like normally (laughs) i recall correct like the the actual like um what what this is really about, you say Apple versus Epic, it's really about Apple versus Fortnite. Because what's happening here is that um, Apple is trying to take out, like, I think it's something like a 30% cut or something ridiculous. Yeah, 30% is accurate. Yeah, um, out of every purchase that's made through the App Store, and they only allow you to purchase in-game content through the App Store. So in the case of Fortnite, that's literally tens or hundreds of millions of dollars that... Um, Epic is not getting because Apple's sitting on top of it and all these Fortnite kids are buying all their skins and whatnot. You know, what what the, what all the kids are doing these days on the internet. You know, gotta spend t- like $1,000 on emotes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it is actually a ridiculous amount of money. It is an absolutely astonishing amount of money. And the one thing to remember about um, as much as Fortnite, as much money as Fortnite makes it is comparable to the amount of money that the entire mobile gaming industry makes. And when you look at the gigantic cavernous difference between the amount of money that mobile gaming makes and the amount of money that PC gaming makes, you start, start thinking in the, in the head of Todd Howard, who's got to be asking himself, why the hell am I still making PC games? 
Oh, so Elder Scrolls Six for mobile. Gotcha. Well, we I'm already just got saying, that with blades. <laughs> I'm just saying, if if you're gonna make games these days, the like numerically speaking, you make infinitely more money on a on a phone than you would on a PC, and uh, and it's got to be it's got to be a tough decision for people at Bethesda to continue making video games for PC, which is not even remotely as profitable as uh, as as mobile gaming. Especially because, I mean, you know, they go to the same parties as these guys, you know, then Todd Howard walks in and then some dude from Apple or something like that rolls up in his solid diamond suit you know, (laughs) and his his uh, his gold plated car. And he's like, Todd, how are you? Good to see you, buddy. Oh, you still smoking those Marlboros, huh? (laughs) Too bad. (laughs) Minor hand rolled by Jamaican immigrants. Oh, no. (laughs) The best part is Todd is actually that kind of guy. He I remember that interview he did with Elon. Where he was like, mm. oh, yeah, I bought the, the brand new Tesla, like, fully loaded. Like, he's mm. bragging about his wealth. Like, he would definitely be the guy who goes to a party and gets jealous of what other people have. It, well, exactly. Especially when he, he talks about how great his new uh, Tesla is and Elon's sitting there with the Tesla that hasn't even come out yet. <laughs> and he's being polite and not saying anything. <laughs> well, but after Todd Howard walks off, that. Elon's like, oh, my God, did you see that? That's ridiculous. <laughs> he's back so proud of his of, Tesla. Um, oh, my God. Back on the topic of mobile games, though, um, Bethesda has been trying to break into the market recently when it comes to, like, Fallout Shelter, when it comes to Elder Uh, Scrolls Blades, Mm -hmm. and there even was one with id Software recently. I think it was the Commander Keen release that they tried to do. All of these releases, with the exception of Fallout Shelter, Fallout Shelter did pretty good. People accepted it was a pretty simple game. Um, But Blades Mm. got chastised pretty hard for being, like, filled with microtransactions just being a mobile game mm-hmm. which is like it just goes to so I don't, I don't think they can go into the market because the people that like their games expect That's not a what a mobile game is <laughs> yeah they don't they expect another pc game but handheld which they're not going to get yeah. um not until skyrim comes out for the um what is it the uh nvidia the shield? No. Or is it no, no, the, 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 new, blade? the Steam or the machine or whatever? Steam, yeah, whatever. It's not the Steam machine. It's the Steam something. Panel, block. Uh, the Steam, whatever. It's like their version of the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. It's uh, it's Steam Deck. Deck. That was it. Yeah, Steam Deck. Yeah. Steam Deck. That's the one. I, I make fun of it, but I'm totally gonna buy one. So <laughs> shut Me up. too. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we won't um, expect any Bethesda games on mobile till we get the remaster of Shadow Key and everything, which I would be down for. Me too. I would buy that crap. I would. Oh, I want a remaster of Red of Redguard, but um, yes, yep. I own the box. Keep consuming, that. consumer. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> keep buy consuming Skyrim again. Speaking yeah, of uh, being a stupid consumer, uh, mm-hmm. I was a stupid consumer recently. I pre-ordered Deathloop. <laughs> oh, really? It wasn't actually that crazy ahead of time. I ordered, I, I pre-ordered it like two days before launch, so I could preload oh, it. Okay. Yeah. But I, I, that's this is going to be the final topic of the podcast before we cut it off. Um, <laughs> I've been playing Deathloop recently, and I have a few gripes with it currently. First, sure. first thing I ever noticed when I turn on the game was. Wow, this is some terrible performance. <laughs> I was—I'm not sitting here with the strongest graphics card. I have a—I had to sadly switch from a uh, 1060 six gigabyte to like a 1650. So my 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 VRAM went down, but my performance is about the same. Yeah, and I'm—I'm I'm like, wow, 
this is crazy laggy. Luckily, they have uh, AMD FSR, which is like the same thing as DLSS, yep. uh, but without the fancy AI learning. Um, and the the game, outside of that, the like performance aside, which I believe that alongside um, uh, the whole exclusivity thing was why the game was review bombed. Uh, because no one can run the game. It's terribly optimized. And then uh, they're all saying, oh, it's Denuvo. It's this, it's that. And a bunch of people are also saying stuff like, oh, why was it only a PS4 exclusive? Microsoft owns Bethesda, blah, blah, blah. The second big thing I noticed, and this, this you can take this how you will. This Deathloop is, it's like, imagine taking Prey 2017, uh, giving the player the guns from... Uh, Machine Games remake of uh, Wolfenstein, and then just tacking on every single power from Dishonored that you could probably think of. And that's Deathloop, except now, every time you die, you start over again at the beginning of the game. Well, you get two chances. Shh, yeah. that's a spoiler! No, it's oh, not. That's a game mechanic. <laughs> oh, no, I heard about that. Don't worry. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, actually, um, I think I told you, Matt, about that, right? Yeah. It's a... um. I... I... My experience with the game has been okay. So first off, I uh, disclaimer: I didn't buy it because I took one look at it and realized uh, I'm not going to have the time to play this. So instead, Fair I've enough. just been watching Twitch people play it. I've been watching Bike Man on Twitch play it, and I have uh, a huge amount of respect for the game, mostly due to how unexpectedly clever it is or funny it is. Uh, if you like the, the comedy in it, yeah, the voice acting is. Just oh, freaking the, the interactions between Colt and Juliana. I, I live mm-hmm. for those at the beginning of every level. Yeah. Like that's yeah. Colt is one of my favorite characters in any arcane game so far. Like he's beaten out every other character. I'm like, I like this guy. Like, <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have a lot cool to compete thing. against, right? You got Corvo oh, who never speaks, or in anything. or in yeah. Dishonored Two, Corvo's like, uh, look at me, I'm I'm upset. Uh, I'm Mercer from Skyrim. <laughs> I'm, I'm broody. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Morgan from Prey is just like you never actually. He never speaks. It's always. Morgan talking to Morgan from the past. Yeah, it's odd how he never speaks, right? He, I wonder if there's a reason in the plot for that. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder hmm. if the revealed at the end. <laughs> people people should play that game and find out. <laughs> it's actually a pretty good game. I remember playing yeah. the demo and immediately buying it. But yeah, uh, the, the next big thing I noticed about Deathloop was uh, the asset reuse. And mm. you, don't, you mm. wouldn't really notice it unless you've played like every arcane game. But for example, the turrets in the game pulled directly, sounds included. Only thing they changed was the textures from uh, Prey. Like, it even has that little beeping sound that I, I, I dreaded so much in Prey. Um, another thing they pulled, all the shotgun animations, all the pistol animations directly from Prey. And it's interesting to me. I mean, I, I so far I've loved Deathloop. I don't think Deathloop is on par with Prey. But I'd say it's on par with Dishonored 2. A little better than Dishonored 2 because they have the whole yeah. mystery aspect to it. And Dishonored think, plots are never complicated. I think that's a really good appraisal, actually. I, I, I agree with you there. I I, I um I feel like Prey was a longer game. Um, but I think the logistics behind getting Deathloop to do what it do in four maps. Because it only has four maps. Yep. Um I think getting prey to getting a death loop to 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 accomplish the goal they set out limited them severely in a lot of ways in production. 
um, just being able to create a, a, a world like, and I mean, literally like asset, like, a, 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 like maps where you can have four variations of all four of each individual map, according to what time you're there. And then in addition to that, get a scripting system that allows you to do the stuff that you can do, like plant something in one place and then come back later and it's still there, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it, it's, it's so ridiculously complicated and then clear all that crap out when the day resets, which is another thing, like, like housekeeping at the end of every day. I don't even want to see what that, I don't even want to imagine what that code <laughs> must be like. It must be a nightmare. That, uh, that probably explains the performance issues too. Oh, it might. Um, actually, uh, I think the performance issues might be, uh, referencing your cast your level of detail issue. A lot of the, a lot of the maps in the, in that game are very open, um, very broad open spaces. You don't get a whole lot of that sort of like twisty corridor, you know, um, uh, viz blocking stuff, uh, that you get in other shooters like, you know, Doom and whatnot. Um, I say you guys yeah, are I, talking about performance issues. I, by good PC, which has a 2070 and it is not operable at the moment, it's getting fixed. And I'm hmm. stuck with my AMD, I think it's 590. The literal specs for the lowest system you can run it on <laughs> is exactly what my PC is right now. And I'm like running it at ultra low settings. And it's running pretty okay for what it is. But yeah, I definitely know what you guys are talking about with the performance things. Yeah. It's it's still gonna be better than Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Oh yeah, by a long shot. Low bar. Oh, and speaking of side Cyberpunk, we're gonna have a little joke about that in a minute. <laughs> hey, we still gonna talk about this every week. <laughs> but yeah, Matt, you haven't speak spoken a lot. Any thoughts on Deathloop before we move on? I haven't played it. <laughs> I want to play it. That's why I'm so quiet. <laughs> uh, I think Real quick, with that, before we move on, I just want to say one last thing. I personally think the game should have been only $40. Ooh, that's controversial. Ooh. I'm just saying, for how short it is for only four maps, I know it's an impressive thing, but it's just a side game. They didn't really want to make it a big thing, I don't think. Did, did you? How, how far have you... Like, you can, yeah, you can probably get a good 40 hours of, out of this game, if, even if you don't play it... If you, even if you play it quickly, there's a lot of trial and error that you have to do in this game. I don't know if I would say that it's... Because, I mean, like, you know, you look at other $60 games like, Christ, I don't know, anything. Cyber. Um, and, you know, you look at, you look at um, Skyrim, which can take 100 hours. And, 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 I mean, and then you look at Deathloop. Is Deathloop the same, like, density of content as Skyrim? No, but I don't know. He's comparing I, I would... it to, like, Dishonored. I mean, like, I, I don't yeah. know. Dishonored has, like, a full storyline. And Deathloop I... has four maps that you have to interact with people. And it, then I think it has... it's over. I think it's it very four, maps with four variations of each map and the um the the constant like going through them again and again is part believe it or not part of the gameplay loop. That's actually something that you uh, are going to actually look forward to because there's um get you know getting your routing down and moving from one place to another is like a big part of the game especially when you have to go back Oh, Jesus, man. I can't say much more than that without revealing yeah. <laughs> no, it. I think a very critical thing you need to consider when you think about price in the game. Uh, have you played Doom Eternal or Doom 2016? I have played both of them. I haven't beat Doom Eternal, though. Do you think those games are worth $60? Mm. Yes, no. I did, personally. The, mm. All right. I don't know. My, you, my memories of them are very if you, if you think Doom is... The original Doom 2016 is worth $60. That game had a campaign that was like seven hours long. 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that statement. So yeah. if you were, I think Doom Eternal is a better game. Oh yeah, by far, by yeah. by miles. I, I'm I'm like addicted to it. I'll open it up every once in a while and be like, "All right, I want to feel like a badass." <laughs> I want to kill demons. But yeah, if yeah, if you consider, it doesn't have a soundtrack that'll give you whiplash. <laughs> That's the other thing. I think thirty dollars of my price tag was just for the soundtrack. It was that good. I, I think Doom, yeah. when when you consider mm-hmm. that, like, so if the experience is good enough, I honestly think it can justify a higher price tag. Uh, I just like I don't know. I feel like Death of the Outsider was just as long as this game, and that game was like forty dollars. Oh, it, so I, I, yeah. my, my another gripe I've had with Deathloop is just the fact that it's not nearly as content heavy. Like you'll go to there will be large swaths of the game where there'll be nothing, but then there'll be parts where it's like so dense. Like I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a specific part of the game that you'll go there like three or four times because like there's four different times of the day. You'll go there like once, it'll be like this, and you just go through, and that one specific area will just change completely every single time. I don't want to spoil it too much, but... Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But yeah, um, unless anyone has anything else to say, we can move on to the definitely from the community round, and we'll let Matt do it this time. Uh, It's just about... We were going back to Doom, Doom 2016. I just wanted to mention that I don't... I think Doom Eternal is a better game, but I enjoyed Doom 2016 because I played it on the hardest difficulty. Ooh. And not Ultra Nightmare, but fun fact, oh. I have a rare achievement. I beat the first level on Ultra Nightmare. 2.4% of players have that Jesus, achievement so in Steam. Me and three other people attempted to do that, and we couldn't do it, Matt. How'd you do it? He's a pistol. Um, essentially, you're given a pistol with... Um, with a precision precision scope on it. So all you do is just find a way to cheese the enemies that can kill you in one hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've seen I've seen Ultra Nightmare runs and it's always people just running around with the pistol. The pistol is crazy in that game. And that's why when I first played Doom Eternal it was really weird because they don't they give you like a bunch of shit, but the game is like Doom Eternal uh, is a it's a combat puzzle and I, I Yeah. I, I honestly I can't go back to Doom twenty sixteen just because I of tried how the other night. It, it, it's it's impossible. It's like the gameplay feels too slow. But yeah, um with that said, Matt you wanna... Speaking speaking of slow, such as the C D project red game developers on fixing their game. Everyone laugh. This is the well, part where you laugh. laugh. Ha 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 shit together. <laughs> uh, Alright, number two, Matt. Uh, Dream. <laughs> Is it really him versus... <laughs> we're, going, we're really going back to this Tim the Tat man? Yeah, this is a running joke on the podcast for anyone who doesn't realize. We just have a picture of Dream in the Google Doc that we mess yeah, with. for all those listeners, they're just editing the picture and changing the size of the entire time that we're <laughs> no, about Dream and no, 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 no. But yeah, we've gone, we've gone a little bit over. I'll probably edit this down to the correct time like I always do. Uh, hey, it was all fascinating topics. I this, don't think we did anything wrong. I'll, I'll be 100% honest with you right now, Dead Eye. This was like the one interview that I've had that I'm I, I'm like, I'm in, strapped into my seat keeping myself from exploding. <laughs> this was like crazy yeah. interesting. I, lo- I loved I every second of it. I would agree. But I, I, I mean, you know, don't don't ask me to talk about Elder Scrolls lore in a small amount of time. <laughs> no, I get that. 
I'll derail anything, any conversation. You know, that's, I mean, that's what the podcast is. That's what the that's what the lorecast is. Which is just us going off topic. So, but yeah, thank you for coming to the podcast. I, it it was great having you on, man. I I, I absolutely enjoyed it. Like I said, oh, happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Uh, we, before we before we kind of end, would you like to plug anything one last time? Um, just, uh, the channels at uh, youtube.com slash memosport, our Twitch channels at twitch.tv slash rotten deadite, uh, my website at newworlingschool.com. And, uh, yeah, thanks for the, thanks for the opportunity. Have me back. I'll be here. Yeah. Uh, and with that, thank you to everyone for coming down to listen. Um, everything will be in the description as usual and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, guys. See you guys later. <laughs> <laughs>